You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. See, apathy is super dangerous. Because if you don't know how much you've been saved from, you, you won't understand how much Christ has forgiven in your life. And as the passage is going to show us this morning, as the passage is showing, has shown me this week, he who is forgiven little loves little. But he who's been forgiven much will love much. So let's, let's look through this story. Let's see what God's word has for us. Let's see what, how Jesus uh, interacted with a specific situation and, and used a story to illustrate it. Verse 36 of chapter 7 of Luke. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Him being Jesus. One of the Pharisees invited, Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and he took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee, who had invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, if this man, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering his thoughts, (laughs) said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've you've judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her own tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You, you didn't anoint my head with oil, but she, she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who's forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. Simon suffered from apathy. He didn't care. He had no care for who was in in his house. And then you compare Simon to this woman, and what you see is you can clearly see She was awestruck, in love, adoring, worshiping Jesus. There's a big difference between Simon and and, uh, this woman. And I'd like to 
go through this passage uh, this morning. We're going to look at it uh, through three different filters. But um, in order to really understand God's word, we have to put ourselves in the story, in a sense. We, we can't just interpret it for ourselves here. We have to enter into the context of what, that, uh, what it would have been like to be in that room, what it would have been like um, for uh, a reader of the time who was sent this gospel news. So there's a few things that we have to understand, especially one thing, the Pharisees. Pharisees were the religious leaders of the time. They believed in the Torah and in God, and they believed in the afterlife. They studied the law. They believed and studied that the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, and uh, they even tried to strengthen it uh, by adding all these emendations, these additional laws, these additional rules, things for uh, rules to, to govern uh, how you avoid uh, temptation, rules to um, avoid even association with sinners, rules and rules and rules, 1,521 additional rules on top of their already diagnosed 613 laws. That's a lot of rules. And this is how they lived their life. They continually, as Pharisees, they would live their life measuring and counting, keeping account of the things they were doing. Uh, there is even stories of Pharisees who would walk with their heads down, facing the ground, because they didn't want to look at women and be tempted by women. And they would do it to the point where they would walk into buildings and other objects and they would have a bleeding forehead because they had done this so often. And they would do this not even to the point of really the value. There is value in avoiding temptation. There is value in, 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 in not, um, not, you know, not pursuing sin but fleeing uh, immorality. But the Pharisees, for them, it became a point of their faith. They put their faith in their ability to follow the rules. They felt that if they would follow the rules and if they could tr prove to each other that they had no evidence against them, then that's where they found their security. That's where they found their hope. And the Pharisees had already had an interaction with Jesus. They weren't too fond of him because Jesus had already told them some important truths that they needed to hear. And so already by this point in Luke, we're told that the Pharisees were already looking for evidence against Jesus. There's actually, there's, there's good reason for us to even believe that Jesus was invited to this person's house, to this Pharisee's house, for the sake of finding something against Jesus. And you see that. We'll see that in the scripture. We'll see that in today's passage. This is what Pharisees were like, judgmental, scrupulous, uh, keeping account of, of themselves and of others. And And... It might seem strange if you were to have, um, if, you were, if I were to come over for dinner today uh, and somebody just randomly walked in, that would be kind of strange. I don't know, maybe your house is different than mine. But at the time, it was a very normal habit because what, the, what these Pharisees would do is they'd invite a, uh, a teacher over and they'd have this meal with the teacher and it would be like a, almost like a, a public setting where anyone could come in and listen, listen to the great Pharisee and his conversation with Jesus and, oh, sit there and learn. And, and so they would do this. There would be a public event. And the way that they, they actually sat at the table, not sat, they lied down because they would have this U-shaped table uh, where the servants could come in and serve the food. And then all around the U-shaped table would be bedding. And you would lie down on your bed while you're eating, right? I'm, I'm, I was told as a kid not to bring my food to my room. It would be crumbs everywhere. But they, were, they would practice lying down and they would actually lie on their stomach and eat their food and have conversation. Uh, what a relaxed way to eat. 
Um, but they would do this, and then, interestingly, then when they were uh, done eating their meal, as a sign that they were done, they'd actually kind of lie on their side with their elbow, and, and that was their sign, oh, I'm done my meal, thank you very much. And, and so they did this to keep feet away from food, because feet, um, they didn't have Nikes back then, Right? They didn't have Nikes and Jordans and Blundstones and whatever nice shoes uh, people have. They, they, they had sandals, and, and, uh, and so they would wear these into the city. Some of them wouldn't even have footwear necessarily, and, and there wasn't, it's not like the streets were very clean, and so feet would interact with all sorts of, you know, crap, <laughs> and uh, they would smell, and they were awful. They were, they were uh, tainted, and so they wouldn't want them near their food because you couldn't smell the food over your feet, and so the feet would be far away. That's why you would lie down in many sense, and that's why this lady would be able to approach Jesus' feet because they're away from the food. She would be far at the back, and she'd, she would have access to his feet, and, and it's, the other thing is this lady, the way that she's described this, this woman, <clears throat> You see, we're introduced to people. One of the Pharisees, Simon, that's his name, is eating with Jesus. That's his name. You know who doesn't have a name in this story? The woman. She's simply known for her sin. She's famous. People knew her. She was famous in that city. She was known in that city. But she wasn't known for much more than her sin. I, uh, I haven't been in Kelowna very long, um, just a few months, but already in my few interactions and going downtown, I've um, seen repeated characters and people, recognizable people. Uh, Back in Oshawa, we had a a guy, um, we called him Bunny Man, (laughs) because he would wear bunny ears. He had like a little tiara-like thing that had bunny ears, and he would bring a chess set to all these different coffee shops and be playing chess by himself, and, and, uh, and there would be characters and and, and every city has these types of people. And for, for this lady, this is, she didn't have a name anymore. She was just known, just like this, the man back in Oshawa, Bunny Man. This, this lady would have just been known for her sin. That's all she would have known herself for in many senses. It's, if you're called something enough, eventually you believe it about yourself, right? And she walks in. And yes, it would have been a public setting, but I don't know how, how uh, welcome she would have been in Simon's home that day. And this woman and the Pharisee are are from two totally different experiences. One, having only been known for her sin, the other only knowing himself by his sense of righteousness. See, as we walk through this this morning, there's three gospel filters that I want to uh, uh, expose for ourselves, for myself, um, in this story, in this parable. And what we're going to find out for ourselves and what we have to ask today is, Am I more like the Pharisee or am I more like the woman? We have to protect our hearts, guard our hearts from apathy. And we need to do that by regularly preaching the gospel to ourselves. So we're going to talk about our debt to the Lord. We're going to talk about our uh, repentance and our love for the Lord. Can you imagine uh, what it would have been like uh, in the parable to be one of these people that had their debt um, removed? (laughs) I mean, if you have a mortgage or a student line of credit like I do, uh, and you have some student debt, just am- I-, I just can picture going up to the banker and, and finding out that my debt's been paid. It's going gonna- it's- it's to be paid for. I'm like, I'd be singing in the streets, you know? 
I'd be posting it all over social media. I'd be, I'd be calling people I don't even know. Like, guess what? You know, but it's, it's, this, isn't a, this wasn't a prize. This wasn't like a call from WestJet. You want a free vacation. It's not like that. This was um, ha- the, de- the people who owed money. It says here, if you look with me in uh, the parable in verse 41, um, the two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50, when they could not pay. This was not a prize winning. This was not a, uh, uh, you, you pulled your name out of a hat. This was them having to admit that they, they were at the end of what they could do. They could not pay. Now that's a different picture for ourselves, isn't it? Um, you know, when, when you cannot pay, I, I had a family friend who um, I saw them go through bankruptcy and have their house taken away and, and go through all that. And the way it ate at the man of that home, the way that it destroyed him, <clears throat> we have to understand our debt. You see, Simon the Pharisee, he felt he owed nothing to Jesus. But the woman, she felt she owed everything to him. This is where we are to land. This is, this is where we are to go. We are to figure out and, and understand how much we really owe the Lord and how much we really can't pay him back. You see, the reason why Simon felt like he owed Jesus nothing is because he compared himself to the woman. He just was continually saying, oh, listen, I'm not like her. I, he would look at his list of 1,521 rules and go, yeah, you know, I, I, maybe one or two. And he'd look at her and he'd be like, whoa, she is off the charts he would consider her untouchable, unacceptable, unwelcome, an outcast. And for him, that was, that was comforting. And isn't it for us at times, right? When we get in trouble as kids, what do we do? Well, Susie, <laughs> Susie did something way worse than I did, right? Hope there's not a Susie in the room this morning. Um, the reality is we, we want to point the blame to another sinner, right? Usually the most... Uh, the thing that we run to, the most comforting person we want to run to isn't someone who's done the right thing, but someone who's done something way worse than we have. For the Pharisee, for him, that's, that's all he needed. And, and for us, we need to be careful within the church. We need to be understanding that apathy comes from self-righteousness, this idea that we have it all together and the reason why we think that is often because we compare ourselves to others. And I'm not preaching this at you. I'm preaching this to myself. Just because we don't have some kind of public taboo vice doesn't mean that we're not a sinner. It doesn't mean that we owe our whole lives to the Lord. When I worked in youth ministry, I would work with different teenagers and, and, uh, and I'd, I'd, I'd be caring with them and talking to them and I would deal with all sorts of egos and sass and well, call them personalities, and, uh, and often I would look at them and I'd just smile and think to myself, like, I hope they grow out of this. <laughs> you know, I just hope they grow up. And, uh, and then it didn't take too long after I thought that, that I realized, and I looked at myself in the mirror and I realized I didn't, I really didn't grow up out of a lot of the character flaws, struggles, habits of pride, the habits of greed, the habits of um, self-exaltation, insecurity, worry, all sorts of habits we build up when we're young. And killing those, that takes a lifetime. Um, even this morning, um, 
someone was sharing with me that this April uh, they're going to have uh, celebrate 60 years of marriage, which is fantastic, 60 years of marriage. And, uh, and we both kind of smiled at each other and, and talked about just the things uh, we've learned over the years. And, and I, um, in my very first year of marriage, and I shared this with him, I said, I learned very quickly that the Lord designed marriage to refine me. <laughs> he designed it to, to help me realize and to be humbled and, and to, to know that I, 60 years, what that would do in a marriage is one thing. But 60 years with the Lord, how he will refine us and remind us our debt to him and how that will change us. Um, as a church, we need to be careful of this, that we don't compare our righteousness to each other. I've, as I've worked with um, people on their baptisms and, and they, they say, I've always been in the church and, and so I, I don't know what I would say. Because you ask them uh, in your testimony, um, what was it like before you knew Jesus? And, people, and they, they, I've had people live, look at me with a confusing look like, before I knew Jesus, I, I knew Jesus at three. I didn't have any like crazy addictions at three and uh, problems. And I go and I look at them and I'm like, has your life changed? Because if you're not experiencing change having known Jesus, I don't know you really know him. Just last week, we had two baptisms of, of girls born in, the, born in Christian homes and, and in church. And, and, and both of them gave great testimony of change in their life because of knowing Jesus. Because they knew the debt they owed him. Because they didn't compare their righteousness just to others. They compared themselves against the Lord. Which is what the woman did. Every day, this lady would have compared herself um, to all the people around her. Every day, bearing her sin as her identity. But when she looked at Christ's righteousness, when she realized her debt, she looked at him and, yes, you would think looking at someone perfect would make you feel awful, but not when that person who's perfect is paying your debt. See, we might look at Christ and realize our sin, but we also meet our Savior. It's such good news to not compare ourselves to others, but to look at Christ's righteousness and find our debt, but also find our Savior. The irony is this, that Christ came to make the self-righteous see their guilt. And he came to make the guilty see their hope through his righteousness. So this morning, our question is this for ourselves. Simon compared his righteousness to the woman's. And the woman compared her righteousness to Christ's. Who do you compare your righteousness to? Who do I compare my righteousness to? Um, the next gospel filter we need to consider for ourselves is our repentance. True repentance repentance is it's not just a canadian sorry you know what a canadian sorry is right because we canadians we say sorry all the time i mean we 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 don't hold the door open for the hundred people walking through tim hortons we forget for the last person we're like i'm sorry right we say sorry all the time but it's a canadian sorry it's more like a um oops <laughs> if anything but even as kids you get your kids to say sorry when parker's in trouble and it happens and Parker's in trouble, we'll send him to his room, say, time out, Parker, and, and, and until you're ready to say sorry, right, parents? Until you're ready to say sorry, you stay there. And, uh, and he'll come out, and he says sorry, but, like, you, you know the difference between a real sorry and a, a not, you know, a not real sorry. Uh, coming in, I'm sorry, you know? <laughs> just saying it just to try and get away. Um, the reality is this. When Simon looked at Jesus, he looked at him with disdain. Because Simon did not feel repentant for his sins. 
He, he was judging Jesus. He was bringing him in to compare himself to Jesus, to, to size him up. Look at us, look at verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he wouldn't even say it out loud, just kept it to himself. He says this, if the man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman and who this is who's touching him. Because she's a sinner. Simon's looking at Jesus and saying, I, I, I'm not impressed by this Jesus. Because Simon looked at him with disdain. Whereas the woman looked at Jesus with remorse. She looked at him and, 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 and sensed and understand her, understood her guilt. When I was um, first getting my car license, my license to drive, I got a speeding. I got pulled over for speeding. And, uh, and not the kind of speeding where you're like, oh, it's just a speeding ticket. Like, this was one of those really, really stupid fast choices. I, uh, the kind of speeding where they take your car and your license. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I'm not alone, apparently. Um, no, the reality was I was speeding really fast, and I, I hadn't had my license for very long. I had, um, I had friends in the car, two, two girls and a, and a guy, and, and I was driving really fast, and um, <clears throat> I got pulled over, and the cop comes up, and, and he was um, not happy, <laughs> and uh, not even very civil, really. He basically came up to my car yelling, what are you thinking, you stupid kid? <laughs> and, uh, and give me your license and registration. Do you have any idea how fast you were going? I was mildly terrified. And, and he, so I give him my, my license and registration, and immediately in my head, I thought, man, this stinks, the police officers were uh, you know, mad at me, all this type of stuff. And then I thought, my father. Oh, I'm going to be in so much trouble. And, and I realized, I'm like, my dad is just going to be so disappointed in me. And so what I did was I called my dad. I'm sitting there waiting for the police officer, running all my numbers, and I called my dad. It's like 3 in the morning, call dad. Dad picks up the phone. What? <laughs> hey, I... Um, I don't know what's going to happen. I've been pulled over for driving way too fast. There's a, there's a good chance that I'm going to get my license taken away and my car taken away. I've got these people in my car. I, I'm sorry. And he, and he, and he you know, he, he just goes, what were you thinking? You know, like, why? What, what, there's people in your car. And he, he stops. Phone's silent. Tell me when it's over. Oh, my heart sunk into my stomach. I was terrified. Um, and, uh, and so then the police officer comes back, and he looks at my face, and he's like, son, it's, it's, it's going to be okay. <laughs> he, he looks at me, and he could tell. I, was, I must have been white as a ghost. I, was, I had so much fear in me. I, um, I don't want to admit I was crying, but I was crying, okay? I was so scared. Not of the police officer, all right? I just knew how much I had disappointed my father. I knew what I had done and just how upset he was going to be with me. So the police officer gives me all this stuff, and he's like, you know, it's, this is a, the, going at this speed it costs this much and, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm just like, I can't even think about what he's saying. I'm just sitting there like nodding my head, yes, sir, yes, sir. Get my stuff. I put it in the car. Take these people home. Drive, drive home. I didn't get my car impounded, and I drive home, 
dad's sitting there and he just goes like, we'll talk about this in the morning. And then he goes to his room. I was like, this guy knows how to, he knows how to parent, I'll tell you. He, uh, so I wake up in the morning and, and, and I come down and he says, show me the ticket. I'm like, oh yeah, the ticket. So I go out to the car and uh, I grab everything because I just put it on the side and I go to grab everything and I'm walking inside and I hand him it and he goes, there's no ticket in here. Go, go get the ticket, it's in your car. I'm like, oh, okay. So I go and I'm, I can't find the ticket. Oh my goodness. Not only have I been pulled over, been given a ticket, but I can't find it. I go inside, Dad, Dad there's no ticket. And he's like, what do you mean there's no ticket? And, and then he comes out and he's like, did you even get a yellow slip of paper? And I'm like, no, I just... I thought it was white or something amongst all my insurance. He's like, you didn't even get a stinking ticket. I didn't. I didn't get charged. I'd, I think the police, my theory is this. The police officer saw what kind of trouble I was going to get in at home, and he knew the courts couldn't have anything on that. <laughs> um, no, the reality is that <clears throat> I, was, I was sorry, but I wasn't sorry for being caught. I was really sorry about what I had done to my father, what I had, how I had disappointed him. You know, I look up to my dad so much and, uh, and, and just to know that I was going to have to go home and, and tell him shook me. And, and this is the point of repentance. Repentance isn't about being sorry you're caught. It's about the person whom you love that you have hurt See, she was weeping because she was a sinner. Yes, she was guilty, but she was weeping because she was meeting Jesus, forgiver of sinners, friend of sinners. She was meeting Jesus who, who loved her and saw her beyond her sin. You see, what matters is the object of our, of our repentance. Um, in, a, in the book, Finally Free, a book about purity that's designed for men, and, and, and it speaks to two men. It talks, there's a story about two men, both weeping at the feet of their wives, admitting, apologizing for having been caught again watching pornography. Both men crying before their wives, please forgive me. And the author says, um, one of them would be truly repentant, and the other was not. The one who was truly repentant was sorry for the sin he had committed against the Lord and committed against his wife. He hated his sin, and he, he, he fought that battle against um, pornography, and his marriage stayed together, but the other, he was really just sorry he had hurt a few people, but he was mostly sorry he got caught, and he continued to succumb and, and give in to temptation and eventually it was clear to him and his wife that he, um, that he was choosing pornography over her and they got divorced. One was truly repentant and one was not. You see, our reaction to guilt can look the exact same but the object of our remorse can be totally different. See, Simon lived in worry of being caught of having to face the consequences and, and, and having the judgment of other Pharisees and the people of the city. He was worried, he would have been worried as a Pharisee to be labeled like the woman was. But the woman, she came in and yes, she felt guilty, but she embraced the love of the Lord. 
because she knew that she had been forgiven by him as well. You see, our repentance is a, is a 180 turn from our sin, but it's not just a turn away from something, it's a turn towards someone. You know, I, I, I ask you to search your heart this morning as, as the Lord has told me I need to search mine in the areas of my life where I am convicted. Am I worried about being caught or am I remorseful for the pain I've brought upon my Savior who loves me, who's designed a life for me where I would choose him over sin see the, the cure for apathy is true repentance our love when well, let's talk about our love for the lord because this is the extravagant part of the story just the way that she loves jesus in this story is like it's mind-blowing and it's it's beautiful but when we look at pharisees when we look at simon the pharisee he just loved his dignity he just loved his reputation he probably was pretty proud of the fact that he had this jesus in his house and he probably was pretty proud of the fact that, that he had kind of sized this Jesus up. But the woman, she loved Jesus way more than her dignity. And this is a hard question for us this morning. Um, because it asks us, what is our priority in lives, in our life? Having heard the gospel and knowing that Jesus forgives us and then having turned from our sins, how will we respond is the question. How does the church worship and love him. Look with me at verse 44 to 46. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. Water for your feet was the basic expectation of hospitality. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. For, for her to let down her hair in such a way was unheard of because um, Jewish women didn't let their hair down in public. It was, a mean, it was a grounds for divorce. If your wife let her hair down in public, you could divorce her. And there would be no problem because of the type of uh, expectation of respect and dignity that came with letting your hair down. This lady walked in and she let her hair down to wipe Jesus' feet with her own hair. Not with cloth or anything like that, but to carry the dirt and uh, defilement of his feet and to put it on herself in her uh, hair. Not only does that maybe make you think it's gross, but it's also um, incredibly humiliating. Then he continues, you gave me no kiss, which was a, a normal thing. When I went to Italy with Becca, we would go and we'd meet all her extended family, and I mean extended, extended family, and uh, every single one of them, guys, girls, you know, old men, young men, give you a kiss on either side of the cheek. Some were more affectionate than others, and um, I was like, hey, look, Becca, I'm hot stuff. You made the right choice, you know? Um, <laughs> she rolled her eyes like you all did, and... <laughs> No, but this was a normal thing. It was to, to give a, an affectionate kiss. I think we should bring it back, church, all right? Um, you're all like, no. Um, but from the time, this is what he says, but from the time I came, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Kissing feet, he thought hair was bad. He thought wiping hair with her hair, wiping his feet with her hair was bad. This, um, there's only one instance of someone kissing someone's feet that, that we really know of outside of scripture like this, and, and it's, 
It's a sign that this person is a god, really. She, kissing his feet, was saying, you are not just like a god, you are God. And you did not anoint my head with oil, verse 46. Basic olive oil would have been left around the house, would have been used all, all the time for different foods. It would have been in high stock, especially for a Pharisee. But she anointed my feet with ointment. This word ointment is also transferable. You can use the word perfume. It was purposely used for the sake of, um, of making things smell better. Um, and this this jar that was used, it's called an alabaster jar. It's not alabaster because of the, 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 the material used, but because of where it was designed. There was a specific place in Egypt where you would get these made uh, for the sake of holding perfume. And the way they were designed was so that when a woman would enter the room, she would always wear this alabaster jar around her neck, and, and it would be like... Oh, a woman's here. That's great. <laughs> the place smells better, right? She would walk in the room uh, because they didn't have essential oils all the time there and you couldn't just get it from your neighbor. You had to go and you had to purchase a certain perfume and they would, she would have this perfume around her neck and when she walked in the room, they'd be like, oh, a woman is here. But it was designed to let the scent out, but it was not designed with like a cork or a, or a lid or a twist cap or anything like that. In order for you to have used the perfume and poured it on someone, you would have to smash the bottle. I didn't want to break the keyboard. Um, but you would have to smash the bottle. You'd have to break it and crack it open. You could not use that perfume anymore. That, you'd have to replace the bottle, replace the perfume. What would have been that, that woman's entrance and welcome into so many places would have been spent in that moment. And she spent it all on him, on Jesus. And so Jesus says to her, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven loves little. As we sit here and we compare the Pharisee to the sinful woman, we can clearly see that her love for him was, she loved Jesus more than her dignity. And for, for Simon, he was letting his reputation become an idol in his life. And church, this is still an idol for us today. This is still a temptation for us. Will I risk my reputation? My reputation as a businessman. My reputation um, as a mother in the community. My reputation, um, my reputation in, in my career, my reputation on social media, uh, my reputation as a student. What part of my reputation will I hold back from the Lord? I won't let, um, you know, we, we, will, we would say I will give everything to Jesus, but then we're afraid of saying harsh truths in love. We're afraid of standing up for what we know is wrong because, and it's silly even just thinking about it, but because we just don't want to have someone think of us differently. And it's, it's, it's funny how it's such a severe battle for us in North America where we don't want to risk our reputations, yet people are risking their lives every day across the world um, just to read God's word and be in, in Christian community. <clears throat> May we be um, rebuked and, and from God's word today for how we idolize our reputation. I had a friend at church um, who uh, was a horrible singer. <laughs> he was a horrible singer. Uh, he still is. And... Um, and as a youth, we would always kind of, we'd be worshiping together as a youth together. And, 
and people would often ask me, like, hey, Brett, do you mind standing beside him? <laughs> I can't sing when he's singing. It's just awful, they would say. And uh, you, can, you can hold your tune, Brett. Just, like, just stand beside him. He's your friend. You, you go stand beside him. And, and it wasn't just that he was an awful singer. He was an awful loud singer. <laughs> like, he sang at the top of his lungs. Like, uh, you know, overpowering the microphone even. This guy does not need a mic. He, he was well heard. And uh, he just, he didn't, it was so mature for his age, but he just, he didn't care what people thought of his voice. He didn't care what, um, what the, the youth sneering and giggling and making jokes. And he didn't care that he could tell that people were purposely putting me beside him. And he, he just wanted to worship. He just wanted to declare his love for the Lord at the top of his lungs and didn't matter who was watching. And in my in my better moments of maturity, it would capture my heart. Just watching someone love Jesus so much that there, there was no shame on his face. There's only beautiful pride and boasting of the Lord. And, uh, and I can remember even times where I would just, it would just call me to a level of worship and singing where I didn't even care if I lost my own tune. And this is how we are to worship, church. This is how we are to sing. And not to just sing on Sunday. This is not about just corporate worship. This is about in our homes, with our children. This is about in our workplace. Um, to worship the Lord, not worrying about our reputation. As we think about reputation, it's kind of interesting that the Pharisee didn't jump to a, a, a different conclusion. I, you know, I was reading a, an author speaking about this story, and he said, you know, if, if any one of us in modern day was approached and shown affection by um, a person, a lady of ill repute known for being a prostitute, people would jump to a certain conclusion that you had a relationship with them. But the type of adoration that this woman showed to Christ could not be confused with a worldly romantic love. It was not temporary. It was not um, situation-based. It was recognizing how much he had done for her and how worthy of worship he really was. And I imagine for Christ, this was not a moment of shame for him. I mean, if somebody even just gives me a compliment, I'm always like, yeah, thanks. That was my mom taught me. You know, I don't take compliments very well. And we do. We struggle with this because we know how sinful and how messed up we are. And so if somebody tells us something good about ourselves, sometimes we're like, it's hard to even believe it, right? But for Christ, this was like home. You see, for Christ, he had been in the presence of the Father and the Holy Spirit in heaven, being adored and worshipped and, 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 and praised gloriously for all, all time, and then humbly chooses to come to this earth. What does he become? Poor, the illegitimate child of Mary and Joseph, the, you know, just a carpenter's boy. Nazareth, not a place to be known for. I wonder, I wonder if in this moment that Jesus was just filled with the joy of knowing that his creation loved him. This creation, his, this woman who was made in his image, who he loved so much, who his heart broke for the, the, the sins she's committed and the ways she's been hurt. And in this moment, he just took great joy receiving the worship that he knows he so rightly deserves and that she was so greatly designed for. 
you know, it, it, the, the song, you and I were made for worship. You and I were designed and, and called to love the Lord. Let's do that at the top of our lungs together. She, she, wiped, she wiped his feet with her hair. She kissed his feet. She anointed him with oil. Uh, and Simon sat there just watching and judging. She was leading the room in worship that morning, or that time. I don't know if it was morning, but um, she was leading the room in worship in that way. The whole room would have been filled with this sweet scent of this perfume, and all eyes would have been fixed on Jesus. I ask ourselves this morning, I ask myself, what kind of worshiper am I? What kind of scent do I offer the Lord corporately amongst each other as we encourage and spur each other on to loving good works and worshiping the Lord, yes, but also just in the city, in the day-to-day, with, my, with, my, with discipling my wife and my kids, do I make Jesus big and me small or the opposite? So let it not be said of us as a church that we ever held back our worship. Let's, let's raise our voices high. Let's sing his praises. Let's not be ashamed of people looking around. And if you think somebody beside you is holding back, tell them to give it. <laughs> tell them to worship the Lord freely. This is a place where his name will be praised. And when we gather together, we are to encourage each other, to enable each other, and, and to spur each other on. Let it not be said that pride got in the way. You see, Simon guarded his reputation from Christ but the woman dedicated her reputation to Christ. We, we, we must, oh church, we must fight apathy. We must be cautious of it, be careful, watchful of our hearts, watchful of our practices, watchful of what we consider about our relationship with the Lord because if we don't know of our debt, we will not know of the forgiveness we've received. And if we do not know of the forgiveness we've received, those who have been forgiven little love little. But church, as we look at our account knowing that we owe everything to Jesus, we will be truly repentant. I'm just going to call the band up now as we, um, we dedicate a moment <clears throat> to praising the Lord, to thanking him, to raising our voices high. And with this passage having been saying what it's saying, Convicting and, and calling us, asking us, are, will I worship or, or will I worship the Lord with all of my life or will I hold back? Will I worry about the, my reputation in this room and in the, room, in the places I go or will I dedicate my reputation to the Lord? Remember that God is with you and that just as Jesus looked at this lady so confidently and said, your sins are forgiven, he looks at you today with the same loving eyes. Let us pray. Lord, you are so worthy of worship. And my heart, um, my heart aches with what I owe you that you paid. Lord, lead me into true repentance. May, me, may my eyes be fixed on you as I flee from sin. Help us to flee from sin, O oh Lord to really repent and not have a false sorry. Help us to love you extravagantly, 
not holding back. Help us to put your, um, put your name high in everywhere we go. Lead us even now in worship, Lord, that people might smell a sweet perfume, a sweet scent of how wonderful you truly are in this place. In your name we pray, amen.